0: If this is your first time, maybe your second time, maybe your third time at Fathom, we just want to tell you uh, welcome from our hearts, and as a church body, we want to say welcome home. We want to say welcome home. We really do pray, pray that this is a place that feels like family to you, that you have some real relationships that, uh, that, that will walk with you as you continually journey with, uh, in your relationship with God, and you can grow in that faith today. Last week, we got started on a new chapter of our journey uh, called the ABCs of Financial Freedom, and we're really digging into this idea that God doesn't want us just free in some kind of atmospheric, super spiritual idea of freedom, Where, but he also, he really wants it in just the deepest parts of our practical life, and the things that are spiritual are really practical, and the things that are practical are really spiritual, and, and nothing's more practical than money. Every question, every aspect of our life goes through We go through the mindset of what will it cost me, and how is this going to affect my cash flow? Is it worth it? Everything we do really in life is surrounded around those questions. Uh, We said money is one of those things, it's one of those appetites in our life that's never finally and fully satisfied. We're constantly, once we get a little bit of money, we want a little bit more. We thought that would be the place where we felt comfortable, but then we want a little bit more uh, Zig Ziglar is the one that said that money uh, can't buy you happiness, but everybody wants to find out for themselves. And so we just dove into that last week and really just looking at freedom really comes from being trustworthy. And we're not counted trustworthy unless we really know what it means to be obedient. So we really talked about obedience last week. It was good. Let me tell you a little story. Uh, years ago, um, many moons ago, uh, when my wife and I, after we had started dating, we were dating for about a year and a half, and I. I popped the question, of course, a couple months, months before that. I had purchased a ring, and I did what most guys at my stage of life in college do when they don't have money. They're living on about 50 bucks a month. How did I pay for that? No, I didn't sell anything, but I actually uh, just put it on my credit card, and I'm like, oh, I didn't really have a plan for how I was going to pay for it, but I had this credit card, and I'm like, I'll just put it on there, and I'll pay, off, pay it off later, right? Smart decision. Um, and, and so I, I'm going, let's fast forward from that summer when we got engaged, Uh, And when I bought that ring to about uh, November, still hadn't quite figured out how I'm going to pay for it. Well, November of 2006, the Wii is coming out, and so is the PlayStation 3. Some of you, this is just a game console, if you have no idea what I'm talking about. Most of you will be somewhat familiar. I think that the Wii is like extinct, except for at my house. We love us some Wii sports. Beckett's like a beast at Wee Bowling. Like he really is. The like two weeks ago, we were bowl, like he will take your money. Like, don't bet that kid on Wii Bowling. Um, we were playing, I was like way down. Like he was he had doubled my score or something. But I went three like the last three frames. I turkeyed the last three frames and then spared the extra frame that I got. And I still lost. I mean, that's how much he was beating me by. I still lost. Uh, so he's a really good bowling player, that has nothing to do with anything, but the Wii and the PS3 had just, uh, were coming out, and uh, the night before, they, they opened at like midnight or something, these game consoles, the PS3 was like $500, the, I don't know, the Wii was like $300 or something like that, so my, one of my roommates goes to Walmart that night, and he's like one of the guys that's in line, he was one of those people, you may be at Black Friday, he was one of those guys, so I went up just to hang out with him, never been a part of anything like that, and was hanging out with him. He got the Wii. We went home and played for several hours that night. It was fun. The next day, rolls around, and he's running around to the mall because he's this type of guy, just wants to see if any of them are left because the demand were so hot on them. They were bought, like retail, the PS3 was like $500, and they were people would turn around and sell them online for double that. They were like selling for $1,000 online. This is like, you know, nine years ago or something. So anyway, he goes through GameStop, and they just happen to have two PS3s, and of course he walks in there and he's like, I'm getting one. He had just gotten a Wii the night before, but he's like, I'm getting one. And so he calls me, and he's like, dude, there's two PS3s. Somebody didn't pick them up that pre-ordered, and they're selling them. I'm going to get one. Do you want the other one? And, and my eyes get really big, and then they kind of go down, because I'm like, oh, I'm poor. I don't have money for that. And, um, and, but then my brain starts trying to figure this out. Like, he's like, oh, I'm not going to keep mine. He's like, I'm just going to turn around and sell it. We can make a great profit. I'm like, well, that's a, a super idea. Before I finish that story, um, let me just tell you that again. My wife had graduated college. Uh, we were engaged at the time, and she was not like a full-on sugar mama. She was just like a little bit of a sugar mama for me. Uh, she had a full-time job, and I was living on so little. But she would send me a little money every once in a while. It'd be like fifty, hundred dollars, something like that. That would help. That was like double or triple of what I was living on, mostly. And uh, so she wasn't like a full-on sugar mama, taking care of everything. But she was a little sugar mama. She's still my little sugar mama, uh, and she's embarrassed, which I love it when that happens. Um, But so going back to the story, knowing that she uh, was helping me out and stuff. So I'm sitting here, and I'm like, okay, I've got this credit card debt. He's giving me this opportunity, right, this great opportunity that I can't pass up on. Um, And so I'm like, okay, yeah, 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 I'll come. And so I took off went straight there, he got one, I got the other one, bought this PS3. I was so proud of myself. I'm like, I'm a hustler, I'm figuring out this way, I'm going to take care of this, this debt I put on the credit card I'm paying, take, I'm showing her I'm going to take care of us, I'm, I know how to invest, I'm such a good investor, right? And uh, so I thought this was going to go really well when I told her my great plan, right? And so I, I called her, I'm like, hey babe, so um, I did something today, I bought something, she's like, Oh, you did? And so I proceeded to tell her what I'd done. I bought this 500. Th- How did you pay for that? Oh, well, I put it on my credit card. So I, I it was ugly for a, a couple of minutes, actually, for a couple of days. But I'll, I'll just say that uh, I, I went back home. And so I was trying to work out the eBay stuff that night. And I realized I wasn't a pro bidder or like a pro seller. So I had a three-day waiting period, which, oh man, they were hot. Like they were selling for over a thousand dollars that first day. Three days, the prices were going down. So that was a long three days before my, my, uh, my auction uh, closed. Uh, so anyway, it was a long three days. I made a, a bit of a, a calculation error. Um, and so all the guys in the room were like, oh, we have done the same thing. Great idea. I ended up making like three or 400 bucks. So after that, she was like, all right, but I'm still mad at you type thing. Um, all the guys in the room know exactly what I'm talking about. All the ladies probably, ex- uh, probably definitely side with Taryn. Like, how dare you? Because she's like, I've been sending you this money, and you're buying a stinking PS3. How dare you? I think all of us have made these gut reaction purchases. We've put things on credit probably at some point. Maybe you've never done that in your life, but most of us have a time in our life where we've done something like that. Some of us, it, it's been really, really drastic um, where we've, we've kind of uh, had to sell things or we've, ha- we've gone bankrupt or we've uh, ruined our credit score or you name it. We've got ourselves in these situations at times. And, and the truth of the matter is that life happens and sometimes. Um, you just have to roll with the punches and figure things out, but I think there's really something deep to this conversation about money and what it talks a- about to be free, and the scriptures really talk a lot about debt, and, and I'm going to come at that from a little bit of a different place, and so, uh, and really not just focus on debt, but really talk about the causes of why, how we get this place, uh, and really dive into Matthew chapter 6. Um, it, this may be shocking to you, you may know the statistics on it, but do you realize how much credit card debt we keep as Americans, like let me just hear you, what would you guess is the average, well now that's too late, um, the average credit card debt for anyone that carries credit card debt is almost $16,000 of credit card debt, like um, that's a lot of money, like that's, a, and that's an average, and some of you in the room like, well, oh, that's nothing, like I got $80,000 or something, and some of you guys are like, oh man, that's so much, But I think in just a general rule, that's a a lot of money. Like many families around the world live on so much less than that. Uh, Families in Cambodia live on about $1,000 a year, uh, maybe $600 a year, some families. And so just to look at how much debt we have that we can't pay, our average mortgage debt is about $155. Average student loan is $32 almost up to a trillion dollars in credit card debt as uh, Americans. And that's just like an uncomfortable thought. And there's good debt and there's bad debt. Everybody has differing thoughts on this. Like, you know, basically they'd say, some would say that, you know, mortgages can be good debt because they can be paid off if you got a good deal on it and it's market price. Uh, and then other things like credit card debt and different things uh, uh, other than that could be bad debt. But we won't get on to that. I'm not a financial planner or a financial guru. What I am, though, is a preacher of the scriptures, and I want to dig into that and see what this says about us, and and see if we might find something deeper that would be a solution to the problems we find ourselves in, and really the slavery that we find ourselves in to being consumers. Um, I want you to think about life. I know none of you were alive 100 years ago, or maybe 130 years ago. None of you were alive then. And then I want you to just kind of picture what life was like then. I was just thinking about it yesterday. We live in such an interesting time. Like, just the innovation that takes place every year. I mean, they have these things that are 3D printers. Have you heard of these? It's insane. They're selling them in Sam's already. It's like you want something, like you have this little plastic mold thing to make it in your house. Like, within a few years, it'll be normal consumer stuff and not over $1,000. It's just insane the world we live and how quick things are progressing and we're so consumer driven. But I want you to think about 100, 120, 130 years ago, what life looked like then. We were more farmers than we were consumers. We took care of and made and lived without. I mean, we think about um, some of you that grew up in, in earlier generations. You may be more familiar either you yourself or, or your, your parents grew up in a depression era. And, and we've adopted some of those things, but we've also hung on to some of these realities of what our generations become. We used to be a farming world, and now we're much a consumer. And, and, and there's a deep, deep thing that's happened in there in our world that we don't even realize. And I want to begin to dig in there and see what the scriptures might speak to us. Because the farmer is free. He's not free from work because he still has to work and harvest crops, and he still has dry seasons and things that don't return. But the consumer is always slave to everyone else because they're not producing for themselves. And so we could go much further with that, but we won't. So I want to lean into a place that we really we tapped on last week when we were talking about investing. We, we tapped on Matthew <laughs> chapter 6 in the, in the first few verses, and we'll, we're going to go past that. That's just going to be our setup um, for where we are this week. And this is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. This is his first big sermon. He's coming up to bat, and he's knocking a home run with about three big chapters of hard preaching uh, to a big crowd of people, and this is right smack dab in the middle of it. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin, I told you how much I love that word last week, and where thieves break in and destroy, or, or and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is there your heart will be also. That's kind of just a bed of where we're kind of launching from last week. I think most of us in the room, like if you really begin to dig in, and let me just give you kind of a little bit of relief on this, because some of us wonder, like, how how far does this go? Like, is because I, I you know, have a house and I pay money on, on that, is my treasure now in my house, because that's like my biggest bill? I think you've got to look at, at, at it as a whole, um, and, and not just get into these kind of bite-sized kind of looks, but look at at your life as a whole and and really ask the Lord to reveal in your heart like what, where your heart's really at and things. Only he can reveal that. I can't judge that and and know that. And this is really where I want to begin to lean into 22 through 34. Uh, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. Okay, we were just talking about eyes, and now we're all of a sudden talking about money again. We were talking about treasures and vermin, and now we're talking uh, about eyes and the lamp of the body. What's that mean in, in where we're at today? I think that's really where it's at, that, that's been a big difference, is that we have, there's a problem with our, our eyes, and, and in their culture, they had grown up knowing about Plato and Plutarch, and their teachings, uh, Some all of you will be familiar with the term evil eye. Well, Plato and Plutarch taught this thing known as the evil eye, that when someone went blind, it was because of something in their heart that had made some kind of darkness, and it was this window to the soul They said just as like a body odor can like send a bad message to those people around you or bad breath can like give negative reactions to you. The same thing with your eyes that an evil eye or a a look that someone gives you in your eye could transmit a disease that could spread far faster than any other communicable disease that we know about. Immediately you've thought about someone's giving you the evil eye and immediately it makes this reaction like they transfer that disease, that negative attitude to themselves. And so really he was just getting into this idea of the power of the eye. They understood this because of these teachings. And that's really what this is saying is that the eyes are incredibly powerful. So I think really one of the big things that we've misconstrued when it comes to our money is we've, there's a bad, bad misconception and confusion between need and want. And we don't even realize how bad we confuse this. And I think there's some causes and effects that I I, want to look at today, and I I think it really starts with our affluence. Like, even the poorest among us in this room and in this city are rich by world standards, by global standards, that we're in the top 95% of richest people in the world. So if you feel poor in this place, let me just tell you, you're in the top 5% of richest people in the world. And so, like, yeah, I feel a little better about myself. Uh, Even if, if you feel poor, if you feel in debt, like, we're still among the most affluent people in the world. And so I think that's one of the key causes. I mean, but that's what every generation wants. I want to be able to hand something. I want my kids to have more than what I had. Anybody that's a parent in the room, you want your kids to have more than what you had. Um, I think every family wants that. I want to give more to my kids than what I had. I want to make a better life for them than what I had. And that's kind of kept going. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I think there's actually biblical... Um, kind of precept to, to launch that type of idea, but I also want us to understand that if the things that follow affluence as far as causes uh, are not in place, then, then this becomes a, a major deal because we confuse need and want, and there's this sense of entitlement. There's a sense of entitlement. I've always had a, like my, my son, he's, he's one years old, and he, he's growing up with a smartphone in his hand, and everybody he sees has a smartphone in their hand. Therefore, my son's going to grow up with this sense of entitlement that I'm, I, I'm entitled to a smartphone because, yeah, everyone has one. And I can't live without them. It's a need for me in my life. I, I'm entitled to have that. Or maybe you've grown up eating at high-end restaurants and high-end grocers, and, and, and we have this sense of entitlement that, you know, for, especially for those of you that are, are in a younger generation, there's a sense of entitlement that I can have everything that mom and dad had, and it's just not true. It, it, that's what influence, uh, affluence brings us. There's some, some deep co- effects to that. I, I think the second cause that, that we have to look into that comes out of that is really a lack of discipline. It's, it's a lack of discipline financially because the effects of a lack of discipline is that we can't take no for an answer. We, and we don't know how to say no to ourselves. In fact, we just don't, not, not that we just don't know how to say no to ourselves, but we, we don't know what it is to go without. Like when's the last time, you, I mean, every single day, like I, I become like my father um, in a lot of ways because we're like very programmed on our meal schedule. Like when it's like 10.30, my dad's like, what are we eating for lunch? Uh, And I'm a little bit turning into that uh, because I wake up super early and I I eat early and then I'm hungry early. And it's just kind of things that go. But when's the last time we went without or like we were really hungry, like not just like, oh, I I need to eat because I'm programmed. But no, like I'm I'm starving. We went without. Chances are it's probably been a while, even if it's been more recent. That's a a real question for people all over the world. And, And we don't this lack of discipline because of our affluence. I mean, again, the, I want to give more to my kids than what uh, my, my parents did. Really, a lot of things we're passing down is less discipline than what our parents passed down. Because they, they taught it, and, and the discipline from generation to generation has just gotten smaller and smaller and smaller. But with this affluence, it rolls into the lack of discipline, and it's impacting every area of our life. I didn't know how to say no to buying the PS3, even though I had a great investment opportunity. Um, What's that for you? Like what is that that you can't say no to that you just don't tell yourself no? Not because you have to, you may have the money for it, but just because what happens is when we never tell ourselves no, we we keep going to a place where again, it it moves back to entitlement, it moves back to I don't even know how to say no to myself. And I think that's why uh, short term missions is such a powerful thing, not only because you can plant seeds and water seeds all over the world, But I think you begin to see people who go without, and we have a clearer understanding, our eyes become clearer of what need is and what want is, what need and want is. So it really starts with our eyes beginning to look at our world and understanding that we're rich, like we are, like wherever you're at, you're you're rich, but something comes with that. So affluence, lack of discipline are some causes. I be, believe individualization, which is uh, what I would just call, we're the me generation, that we're really focused on ourselves. If you were with us during in our marriage series, we talked about this, that really when we look at marriage, we look at what's best for me. We, we really want someone that will promote our career, and we don't understand the sacrificial work that it takes to make a marriage Work, and It's just a part of our generation. It's inbred in us, but there's some effects that come with this mentality, is that we're jealous of everything everyone else has. We can't rejoice with anyone else, which the scripture teaches of. We're, we're, we want them to actually lose their job, so it'll make us feel better about our job situation. We don't want them to get a raise. We don't want them to have nice things, because we get jealous of them, because we're only concerned with our own stuff. And it's just a deep, deep-rooted sense of a pride, I mean, some of you will remember this in our early constitutional documents and things about self-reliance, right? There's this idea of self-reliance that comes. And we've mixed these things in with God and acted like it's a biblical thing. But what the scriptures teach us is not self-reliance, but complete dependence on God. And our affluence and our lack of discipline and our lack of concern for what the scriptures say has, has made us put, like, the cross and the American flag on the same thing. And, like, that's just not always what the scriptures teach. And I'm like, not anti-American, I'm American through and through, I'm about as white boy as it gets, raised in a little country town that grew strawberries. But I think we have to understand that this idea of self-reliance is counter scriptural. Scriptures, I'm not, I'm a very independent person, how many of you guys are independent people? hmm there's a lot of us. Super independent, wanna make my way, and I'm always, my first gut is I'm just gonna go make it happen. But what happens in that is there's just this bedrock of pride that we're always built on. And what we're going to see as we dig into the rest of these scriptures is that that's really not who God's called us to be. And there's a lot that happens there. So I think the last cause, and this really will become the solution as we turn this around, is a lack of gratitude. Affluence isn't a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. God can use it in incredible ways. Um, I, God wants us to be blessed and taken care of. Uh, but like Paul said, he's like, I, I, we always use that Philippians 4 13. We love that scripture. That's like everybody's favorite scripture, Tim Tebow's deal. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but we never realize the context of that. Paul's talking about money. He's talking about money and, and being content with what he has. Just before that, he, he says, um, he says, I've, I've learned to live whether in plenty or in want, like where I needed stuff, where I, I had nothing and where I, I've had a lot and all I could handle. I've learned to live in both ways and be content in all of those circumstances. And then he goes in to say, because of, through Christ I can do all things. And that's really the context of that scripture, but we like to use that to everything else. But really this financial aspect is a big deal, and gratitude is a major solution for what the rest of this text is going to lead us to in talking about worry. Because the effects of a lack of gratitude is that we worry about our money, like two-thirds or more of of Americans. I I, I actually quoted a statistic I'd seen that said one-third Americans for the past three to four generations have been, um, are not happy with their financial situations. I heard a statistic this week that said two-thirds of Americans are worried about their financial situation. They worry about finances. And I think what it really begins to dig into is is worry, and I think gratitude is a major part of the solution. So this next text, the next rest of it here in Matthew chapter 6, is going to begin to unfold this idea of worry. And maybe for just a minute, you just need to think about how much we worry about money, how much we worry about all kinds of things in our life, and just this consumer mentality, and really how much we are slaves. Uh, Someone told me last week, and it was just... really crazy to think about that that Amazon is now shipping things closer to your house based on the things you bought before and your preferences because they know at some point you're going to buy them. Someone even told me at some point they're going to ship them to your house and be waiting for you like, I didn't buy this. I I find that hard to believe, but maybe sometime they'll do that. But they're getting it closer to you because they know they're going to wear us down at some point. We don't realize how much we're slaves to this consumer mentality. Let's continue in the text here. And it's really going to get into worry. And I really want to give a textual debate to not worry for us today. Because not everyone in the house is worried about maybe where their next meal is going to come from. I doubt many of you are. But there's the reality of maybe long term, the next year, the next five years, 20 years, how am I going to provide there's those worries there. Therefore, I, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat or drink, uh, for, uh, or about your body, uh, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Continue. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these at the time, the richest man in the the world that they had ever known. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow's thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith, like Jesus is starting to get into it here, and he starts some name-calling. So, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear, for, like, for the pagans run after all these things. The pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But he says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself each day has enough trouble of its own. Have you guys seen this YouTube video of this kid sitting in the, in the back seat, in a car seat? And I think the mom is turned around talking, I wish I would have had this video up here, but the mom's turned around talking to the kid and like asking like, hey, are you okay? Or like, do you want this or, or whatever? And the little kid's like, worry about yourself. Worry about yourself, <laughs> worry about yourself. It's just a funny video about worry. You should look it up. Uh, just look up worry about yourself, it's very funny. Uh, But this is a a powerful text, and I think there's this debate that Jesus is giving here by asking questions and engaging the minds and hearts of people of basically, do you trust God? We talked about that last week. Do you trust him or not? I don't need you to have everything figured out, but do you trust God or not? And that's what finances do. That's why Jesus talks about money so much, because he knows in order to get to our heart, he's really got to go through our wallet. I think the textual debate here is quite powerful, and where it begins in, um, is it verse 24 there? Uh, can we go back to verse 24 and then jump? Don't worry, don't worry about what you'll eat or drink or about your body. What you'll wear is not the life more about food. And I think that's where it has to start with us, this textual debate. Life's about more than food and drink. Life, I mean, just think about it. Like On a daily basis, what do we worry about more than, I mean, first thing in the morning, what do we do? What am I going to wear today? and some of you never eat breakfast You never think about it, but what am I going to eat for breakfast? And then when you get done with breakfast, it's what am I going to eat for lunch? (laughs) When I get done with lunch, what am I going to eat for dinner? And we don't worry about it, and and like folks in other parts of the world constantly worry about it, but it's always a question that we're asking, and what Jesus is saying is that life is about more than food and clothes. Life is about more than food or clothes. And, and it's an intense debate for us to grab a hold of too in, in our hearts of am I, and asking ourselves this question, am I worrying more about the temporary things than I'm worrying about the eternal things? A- am I more focused in my day about what I'm gonna eat more than what God's doing in my life? more than what he's doing in the kingdom. And I think if we're really honest with ourselves, we spend a lot of time, I mean, it's, it's hilarious sometimes. My, my, my wife's just taking it on and just run with it because it would always be this conversation every day. and It was just frustration for me. What are we gonna eat? I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Whatever you wanna do, I don't know. Anybody else's life looks like this. This is what our life was looking like for so long and now she's just taking it and running with it. She's like, I'll come up with something, which is fantastic, because um, I'll eat whatever. Uh, but life's about more than food or clothes, and we don't realize how much that type of stuff we're spending worrying about about just what to eat and not worrying about the eternal things that are much bigger than food or clothes. I think the next thing that begins to get in is we don't understand our value. He says, look, look at the birds. Like, doesn't God feed them? They don't sow or they don't harvest. They don't do any of those things, but God takes care of them. And I think we just have to stop and evaluate. Do we know how much God values us? Worry is one of those things that just kind of takes control of us. It just takes control of us, and if we don't take a step back and really evaluate and ask ourselves the deepest spiritual questions, then I think that worry will control us. And I think this is a big one. Do we understand how much God values us? If like if he's taking care of animals that don't sow or reap in, in his, this great cosmos of a world, don't you think he'll take care of us? Don't you think He'll take care of us when uh, we're moving across the country or we're, we're moving jobs or this part uh, or stage of our life or this season of our life, don't we think that God values us way more than what we can ever imagine? that's what the text says here. That's what Jesus is saying. Not only that, but it goes on to verse 28 and 29, where it begins to talk about, look at, look at the flowers. they don't spin, they don't labor, and yet God close them in such a beautiful way. And I think so much of that independence and that self-reliance is that it depends on us. The reality of the situation is that the scripture says if you don't work you don't eat. Like uh, there's work to be done. We get up every day there's a to-do list to be done. But I think we can walk through that list knowing that it doesn't all rely on me. Because we have this wrong mentality about what success is. In the 50s, it was this idea of keeping up with the Joneses when the TVs were coming out. Anybody ever heard that terminology, I'm sure? The next door neighbor got a a TV, a black and white TV, and then so our family had to do it, and we had to keep up with the Joneses. And then they got a color TV, and we had to get rid of ours and get that. Before that, it was the radio. There was always something to keep up with it. And we don't realize how much we are still in that. Maybe that's, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know if it was with cars or something in, in our world. And But this consumer thing got more and more and just hyped up to where we wait outside for a day and a half or weeks to wait on one item for a new TV to save ourselves 50 bucks. And that's how we run. I think this is a big part of what Jesus is saying. It doesn't always depend on you making something happen. God can provide for you, and it's resting in that fact. He goes on to tell us here that, really, we've got to understand that God's going to take care of it all if we'll just put him first. That's really what we dove into last week, is about being obedient in in principle, and trusting God, and seeking God first, and knowing that all these things are going to be added to us. We love that text, um, Um, Proverbs 37, 4 of delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of our heart, right? We love that. Oh, the desires of my heart. I think that's when we're thinking about everything will be added to us. We're like, what about those desires of my heart, Lord? Those would be super. But we miss that beginning part of delight yourself in the Lord. There's such joy in just walking with the Lord and knowing that I get to go to work today and that it doesn't Mm -hmm. depend on me. I get to go provide for my family, but at the end of the day, I don't have to bear that burden because God values me more than I even value myself. It begins to lift all this worry and this burden, and as we set things in motion, as God's designed to seek him first and everything else is going to be added, and it's the same thing as Psalm 37:4. delight yourself in the Lord, and I just wonder what that might look like for us this week, to just begin to go through our days, delighting ourselves in the Lord, and knowing that all these things, seeking God first, knowing that everything's going to be added to us, he will give us these desires of our heart. I've probably told this story before, but I'll tell it again, because some of you have missed it, when we were serving at a previous church, um, I, I'd led worship and, and played guitar and I'd had the same guitar I'd had since I was a teenager. I, was, I really started playing guitar. And uh, I was playing with a band there and a guy approached me one time and said, um, "said hey man, have you seen that sale going on over at the music store for Taylor Guitars? We talk guitars all the time. Taylor's my favorite guitar. And um, I, would, uh, I was like, yeah man, I, I think I did see that sale. And he's like, yeah, you should go you should go check it out, man, pretty cool, pretty cool sale, I'm like, cool, we'll do, I'll swing over there, check things out, and um, conversation's still there, just, and he's like, no, no, you should really check it out, it's kind of getting awkward at this point, I'm like, all right, bro, I'll go check it out, like, whatever, like, I'll go check out the guitar, and um, he's like, what I'm telling you is, like, I, I want you to go pick out a guitar, he's like, I feel like God's told me to, to buy you a guitar, I was like, sweet, dude. I'm like, that's amazing. Like, never dreamed desire of my heart to have a tailor. Are they in crazy expensive? Yes. But he's telling me to go pick one out and so I immediately start thinking of like a couple hundred guitar, a couple hundred dollar guitar, something, you know, reasonable that God might lead him to do. And he's like, I don't want you to just go pick up some random guitar that you like and think is cool. He's like, uh, the Lord's told me to buy you something that you can pass down to your kids and your kids can pass down to their kids. Something that, you, you will be proud of and that that you can hand down to your children and more and more he's like getting into this This awkward you should go check out the sale is now this incredible blessing of god knowing the desires of my heart i never asked for it i never approached it i'm not saying god's gonna do go get you a taylor guitar i don't know he may but i know that as, as we seek god first He brings desires to our heart. Everything is added to us. And what we realize in this process, that we're going to talk about gratitude here in just a second, is that we're free and and we don't want for as much because we realize we have all what we we need. I I love how the last part ends. Can you go back to the verse? Go back to the verse and how this uh, ends. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus is like, just seriously, like, it'll worry about itself. Like, just take care of it. And so I think for us here in this last, um, last point here is just, ain't nobody got time for worry. Like, literally, worry's going to worry about itself. Tomorrow's going to worry about itself. Nobody's got time for that. And, and so for us to just really begin to embrace the life that God's called us, to be content where we're at, to be free from the love of money, there's a couple things that I, I want to share about gratitude because I think that's the thing that combats and can really be powerful. One is that gratitude builds trust. We don't realize how much thanking God on a daily basis builds trust. If I can just continually thank God for what he's doing, it's hard for me to look at everything that he's doing and be saying, God, no, you can't do that, when all I'm doing every single day is being grateful for the things that he's doing. I can't be worrying about more when I'm just, I'm so focused on what he is doing and not what he's not doing. I'm so focused on what he's done for me rather than what I wish he would do for me. Do you see the difference? Can you see just the transition of what will happen in there? Jesus doesn't get into this big expository deal about gratitude, but I know it's powerful and the scriptures teach it. You know, Thessalonians 5, 18 Rejoice always and, and give thanks constantly in all circumstances. Pray continually. So go back to it. Gratitude builds trust. It, it, it also, right here, it, it, um, it controls our appetite. When I'm thanking God for what I have, I'm less worried about what I don't have. It controls our appetite, it's powerful. Not only does it build trust and control our appetite, but it also adjusts and transforms, I believe, our attitude. Gratitude builds trust in God. I'm just so thankful for what he's doing that I'm not worried about what he's not doing. Controls my appetite. I'm thankful for what he's done, not what he hasn't done. And it transforms our attitude. Because unless we're not getting resentful about What we don't have, we're grateful for what we do have. And it's just changing the whole way we think. And I I just wonder like, what in our life like God might be trying to dig into. What attitude of our heart, what appetite that, that the Lord wants to quench, what jealousy that he wants to take from our hearts, what resentment that he's wanting to dig out of us. I wonder what God might be doing in our lives today. Let me ask you a few tough questions i will just throw up tough questions today. Am I constantly accumulating without being content? Am I always worried about more and not understanding that I can live on less? Do I worry about temporary things more than the eternal ones? I'm more worried about what I'm going to eat for dinner than a, 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 am I really seeking God first? Am I undervaluing what God does for me? Am I undervaluing who God sees me and loves me as? I want to give you some challenges this morning with these questions in mind God might be speaking to us about. I'm going to give you a couple challenges. One is to make a plan to reduce bad debt and keep it that way. Sometimes God makes us spiritually free and if we don't do the things practically to keep ourselves free, then we won't stay that way. It's like it's like the emancipation, emancipation Proclamation being written and slaves being like, nah, we're good, we're gonna go back. And that's exactly what the Israelites did. After God released them from captivity, he, they're like, no, 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 man, we'd rather go back to slavery. Because it was easy then. I was used to it, it was comfortable. I was getting my food just that way, at least I was getting it, I wasn't, when we started getting down to it, I wasn't having to trust you. Make a plan to reduce that debt. Keep it that way. Practice saying no to yourself this week. If it's dessert, if it's extra clothes, just say no to yourself and like the little appetites that you won't say no because slowly it started with dessert and now all of a sudden it's an extramarital affair. Like all of a sudden like I can't say no to anything in my life. It just keeps going. Write down something you're grateful for every day. You're grateful to God about. My wife started doing this, and it's been incredibly powerful in our household, incredibly powerful. Just every day, everybody write down something you're grateful for. It's constantly looking up, constantly, and it's, I'm telling you, it's adjusted the attitude in our home. It's adjusted the attitude of us as individuals. It's adjusted the way my son looks at the world. I believe he's going to grow up to be more content, to not always be wanting, he's a kid, he's going to want the toy in the toy shop. But he knows when he gets out of the bath, mom, write it down, write it down. I'm thankful for walks in the park. Mom, write it down. I'm thankful for ice cream dates. Like, write it down. That's powerful. It's changing his attitude. It's controlling our appetite. It's building trust in God without even realizing it. So I want to ask you to stand this morning, and we're going to pray, and and worship in this time, and come together at a time the table in just a moment. But I just want you to bow your heads, and let's ask ourselves this morning what God's speaking to our hearts. God, God, we believe, but help our unbelief. God, we believe that you've set us free, but God, some of us who are still in bondage, God, we're satisfied in you, we're content, but somehow we're still hungry and we still feel like we've got to strive for more and we can't just be content with who you've called us to be. God, help us to put you first in all things. Help us to trust you. Help us in this moment to not worry because it's not getting us anywhere, but help us to be grateful, to be thankful, God. And in that process, you will free us from our slavery to our stuff. Free us from our consumerism. In the most practical parts of our life, God will be free. We give you praise for it.